Bibles this morning to the book of Colossians, chapter number 1. Colossians, chapter number 1. The verse text this morning is verse 27, but before we get there, I I want to begin in verse 1 of chapter 1. Everybody there? I hope you've got your Bibles this morning that you follow along. Colossians chapter 1 and verse number 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and Timotheus, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ, which are at Colossae, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love which ye have to all saints. Now look at verse number 25, if you would. Verse number 25, Paul continues, Whereof I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. Even the mystery which hath been hid from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus, whereunto I also labor, striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. One of the most important things that we can do when we're studying the Bible is to always consider the context That's why I took the time this morning to read these additional verses. Our text this morning is verse number 27, but I wanted you to get the whole picture. I don't want you to get lost in all of the details, but I want to give you enough information that that you'll get the big picture. Here in the first two verses, we see here that... uh, that this was written by the Apostle Paul. Remember, he is in prison at that time. When others would be thinking only of themselves, Paul was thinking of others. And here he is in prison. Verse 2 says that he wrote to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ Jesus, which are at Colossae. In verse 3, he tells us that he had heard about their faith and their love for the saints, and he's writing to warn them of false teachers that would lead them astray. In chapter 2 and verse 8, he said they would lead them astray through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world. Someone pointed out that today the only sign of Christianity that exists in Colossae is a a plaque that is buried under a Muslim mosque there, and the plaque is in appreciation of Epaphras, who is the man that most likely led these folks to the Lord back at the very beginning. And you imagine a place like that today. 
Paul is writing to a church, a church that had faith in the Lord, a church that where the members loved one another, a church that was thriving, and he's writing to them warning about the dangers, the danger of false teachers that through philosophy and vain deceit and the tradition of man would lead them astray. So evidently the thing that Paul feared the most came to pass. Because as I said today, there's no sign of Christianity that even exists in that place. Something had happened. In, in verse number 2, he tells us that they were in Christ, but at Colossae. Now somewhere along the line, something has happened to where that hope no longer exists in that area. The answer is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Something had happened to lead them astray and to divert their attention away from the main message. That pressure is on every single preacher today. Because the thing of it is, the most, most pastors today, you know, they want to see the church grow. They want to have a large attendance. You know, they, they want, they want to be successful. And in order to achieve what they're longing for, they begin to accommodate, you know, the people and give them what is popular instead of what is scriptural. And somewhere along the line, the simple preaching of the gospel, the preaching of the cross gets pushed to the background. And instead of that, now we want to talk about how you can have your best life now. Instead of, instead of the cross, we want to talk about how we can improve our happiness in this world and so on and so forth. But regardless of the subject that, you know, that you use in place of it, it doesn't make any difference because none of them are effective. It's only the preaching of the pure gospel of Jesus Christ that's going to accomplish the will of God. Whenever I started studying verse number 27, and by the way, I'd preached from this verse back about a year ago, I guess, a, a different message. And I started looking at this verse, and there were so many thoughts that came to my mind. It just left me wondering, what in the world am I going to do? It was like opening up a door that just looks out into a vast expanse that has no end in sight. It just goes on and on and on and it just leaves you speechless. And, and you feel like I could talk the rest of my life talking about this. Because here we find history's greatest mystery. Notice he tells us that it is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And I want us to examine every single part of that one phrase, Christ in you, the hope of glory. It starts with Christ. Amen. That's the first word. Everything should always start with Christ, by the way. Amen. He was at the heart and center of Paul's preaching. Paul, he said to the Corinthians, he said, you know, that, uh, that, that it was the preaching of Christ that was the very core of everything that he stood for. And it ought to be that way with every single one of us. No subject could be more important. No subject could be more wonderful. And and we never are able to exhaust everything that could be said about Him. 
Just notice, look back to verse 13. I'm not going to read it all, but I just want you to notice some phrases concerning Christ. Verse number 13 says He's God's dear Son. Verse number 14 says, In whom we have redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Verse 15, notice, He is the image of the invisible God. Verse 16, He's the creator of all things. Verse 17, He is before all things, and by Him all things consist. Verse 18, He is the head of the body of the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn of the dead, that in all things He might have the preeminence. Verse number 19, In Him should all fullness dwell. And then verse 21, 22, and 22 uh, tells us what He did. So it's it's all about Christ. And, and that that's the way it ought to be in our life. Everything ought to be about Christ. And and the message that Paul is conveying to them concerns Christ above and before everything else. But he doesn't end there. He could have just said, you know, I'm going to give you a message about Christ. And he could have elaborated on all of the things that I've just mentioned here. And he could have added a whole lot more to that. But notice what he does. He goes on and he says, Christ in you. So he's not speaking here about Christ in general, as interesting as that would be, but he's speaking about Christ in you. I underlined in red those words, in you. There's not enough hours in the day to say everything that could be said about that. Think about it. Christ became Emmanuel, which means God with us. He became Emmanuel, God with us, that He might be God in us. I mean, let that sink in for just a little while. You know, at Christmas time, we often refer to the Lord as Emmanuel, God with us. And we know that He condescended from glory and came down to the earth in the form of a man. And, and we celebrate that. But think about it. The purpose was that He might dwell in us. I'm talking about the God. The Bible says that the heavens cannot contain God. He's bigger than all of the heavens, and yet that God lives in us. That's why Jesus said that the kingdom of God is within you. Why? Because the King is within every child of God. I'm... I said, well, go, I'm speechless, and I don't have enough words to describe how difficult it is for me to just go on instead of spending another 30 minutes talking about that. I'll never forget as a young Christian, when I was first introduced to, to the truth of the indwelling of the Lord Jesus Christ, and to think about Christ actually living in me, it just blows my mind it doesn't it doesn't seem possible and yet we know it's true you know look folks this is why we can't base things on our feelings because there are going to be a lot of days you're not going to feel like a child of God to join heir with the Lord Jesus Christ you're not going to feel like you know that that you're going to heaven, and some days you feel just the opposite of all of that. It's not about your feelings, it's about the facts that have been declared in the Word of God. And those facts become meaningful when you embrace them by faith. 
If you're a child of God, whether you feel it or not or understand it or not, doesn't make any difference. If you're a child of God, God is actually living in you. I started to preach a, a message about eternal life. A lot of folks, you know, they, they have no idea what eternal life really is. And uh, the thing that prompted me was a statement about a person that had died. And in the obituary, it said that he uh, he entered into eternal life upon his death. Well, that's nonsense. I, I, look, Christ is our life. If you're a child of God, you already have eternal life. It's not something you're going to. It's something you already got. And it's eternal because Christ is in you. He's living. He's dwelling within you. Christ in you. But it doesn't stop there. Christ. Christ in you. But then he says, Christ in you. Notice the hope. And I want to stop right there. It's hard to stop because I want to go on, but we need to stop. Notice, Christ in you, the hope. And that word hope, as it's used in the Bible, is not what, you know, what we mean today when we talk about, well, I hope it doesn't rain tomorrow. You know, we use the word hope in reference to wishing for something, but whenever the Bible says we are saved by hope, it's talking about a steadfast faith. It's talking about something that we embrace. It's talking about faith in the future, as it were. You see? So he says, Christ in you, notice the hope. Wouldn't it be awful to to live without any hope? I'm so glad we don't have to live that way. Christ gives us hope because He is our hope. Notice, it says Christ the hope. It doesn't say Christ a hope. But it says Christ in you. The hope. That means He's the only hope. And it's a hope that Paul said is steadfast and sure, something we can depend upon because He dwells in us. We have that uh, uh, blessed assurance that we sang about a while ago. And there are at least three ways in which we have this hope that salvation, number one, because salvation is not a matter of trying, you know, to live for Jesus. You know, oftentimes sing that, that old song, Living for Jesus. Great old song. I love it. We ought to be living for Jesus, but we're not saved by living for Jesus. We're saved as a result of Jesus living in us. In other words, your heart is His home. He is your life. He, he's not just a part of your life. He is your life. Without Him, without Him you'd be dead spiritually. So because Christ dwells in you, there is salvation, but not only is there salvation, there is security. Because when Christ takes up residence in our heart, He never changes His address. He's there to stay. We Baptists have been, you know, we've been accused a lot of times of, of you know, believing in eternal security. We're guilty. We believe that. People look upon that as like, you know, a bad thing or an assumption that we make, and it's not at all because Christ is our life, and Christ is living in us. So for me to lose my salvation means one or two things. Either Christ has to leave or He has to die, and that ain't going to happen. 
That's not going to happen. He lives in you. He is your eternal life. So you have security, you have salvation, but beyond that you have strength. Notice verse number 29 again. It's one reason I read on and wanted to include that in the initial reading. Whereunto he says, I also labor, striving according to his working, which, notice, worketh in me mightily. To the Philippians he said, For it is God that works in us both to will and to do of His good pleasure. So whenever God implants that desire in our heart to do a certain thing, then God enables us to do exactly that. And we as Christians, we need strength, for example, to obey God's commands. Think about that for a little while. You know, we look at look at that list of commands and we say, well, I don't have any problem with this one, that one, and the other one. But oh, we get down to the tenth one says, thou shalt not covet. And that kills all of us right there. Because we're all guilty of that. We look, look at the commandments that has to do with, you know, loving our enemies and doing good to others. And, and living the Christian life is absolutely, totally impossible for us on our own. We can't do it. We need a power that is greater than anything we have in and of ourselves. So if we're going to keep His commandments, or, or if we're going to resist temptation, all of us would cave in within 30 seconds if the Lord just removed His helpfulness from our life. And we have strength. Notice Paul said that it's working in me mightily. God was active. God was working. God was giving him the strength to be able to do the work that God called him to do and to resist the temptations that faced him and also to endure the trials that confronted him. Because regardless of how well you live for the Lord, regardless of all of the good things you do, you mark it down, there are going to be trials and temptations. There are going to be difficulties come your way. There's no escape from that, but there can be, there can be a way to endure those things. And we endure not because we're better or not because we're stronger than everybody else. We endure why? Because Christ is in us. Christ, He is our salvation. He's our security. He is our strength. Paul could have stopped right there. Just those comments. Christ in you, the hope. But he didn't stop there, did he? Well, notice what it says. Christ in you, and notice this next word, the hope of glory. You ever thought much about that word glory? It comes from the Greek word doxa. It's a word that speaks about brightness or brilliance or splendor or magnificence. And for example, if you're speaking about the glory of God, you're talking about the manifestation that is the revealing, the manifestation of any or all of His attributes. It's Him revealing to us what He really truly is. Uh, His glory displays His characteristics, in other words. But when we talk here about, notice, the hope of glory, this has to do with what we receive as a result 
of Christ being in us. I love the way Charles Spurgeon put it. He said, Christ in you means means you in glory. There wouldn't be any hope of glory were it not for the fact that Christ is in us. We are as sure of heaven as if we were already there. I'm not saying that out of sinful pride. I'm not saying that out of self-confidence because it has nothing to do with me and my goodness or my ability or any other such thing. It has entirely to do with the Lord having given us eternal life. Certainly a lot of other things are going to be different when we get to heaven. Amen. But, but the certainty of heaven is just as real right now as it will be whenever we get there. And whatever all it entails, we are assured of a perfected state in heaven. And whenever we enter heaven, think about it. Whenever God puts on full display Himself and all that we receive, can you imagine what it will be like? It will be the conclusion of all of our conflicts. Will be no more conflicts anymore. It'll all be glory in that day. It'll be the consummation of God's promises and and the purposes of God. God has had an eternal purpose. Paul said in Ephesians chapter one, an eternal purpose. And what is that? It's to bring all things together so as to glorify God, and that the saints will be glorified in Him. And in that day. It'll be the consummation of those promises and the purpose that God has had before the very beginning. It'll be the commencement of eternal glory. You know, when we're here on earth, we get glimpses of glory, don't we? In other words, we just see in bits and pieces. We don't, we don't get the big picture. Whenever you think about the Old Testament, and there was the there was the tabernacle and then there was the temple both of those structures served the same purpose and that was to house the shekinah glory there was a cloud that dwelt there in both of those houses the, everything in that house and about that house all had to do with the purpose of that glory that that cloud remember it talks about that cloud that cloud that led Israel in the wilderness. It, it was a manifestation of God's glory. But it, it's just a small glimpse of glory. It's not glory in its fullness. But boy, oh boy, on that day, whenever we step through the gates and enter into the presence of glory, all will be glory. We'll go from grief to glory. That's why we, we sing that old song, what a day that will be. And that's why, that's why I keep saying for the Christian, the best is yet to come. We're not home yet, Christians. Now here's the sad part. The sad part is, it isn't like this for everyone. Back in Ephesians 2 and verse 12, he talks about those that are without God and without Anybody remember that other word, what it was? 
hope. No, you're, without God. Look, that describes every person that's ever been born in this world at some point in time. Every one of us. A time when we were without God and we were without any hope whatsoever. But the very next verse, verse number 13 says, But now, in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. Thank God for that. In this world, without God and without hope, but now, but now, but now, now, Christ has provided a sacrifice that is suitable to the Father, wherein we are accepted in the Beloved. And because we're accepted in the Beloved, Christ Himself now lives in us. That is our hope of glory. And it's so sad week after week to think about coming to the end of the service, having the benediction, dismissing the service and leaving this place, knowing that there's someone here that's without God and without hope. It's heartbreaking. Peter said, he has begotten us again into a lively hope. That is a living hope. It's not a dead hope. It's not something, you know, that we're just hoping we'll get to heaven someday. Oh, no, no. It's a living hope. Why? Because we serve a living Savior. He got up out of the grave. Amen. After three days and three nights, He defeated death, hell, and the grave. He arose from the grave for our justification, the Bible says. But not only that, it's for our assurance that He has defeated the enemy and made victory possible for every single one of us. He is our hope of glory. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 24 says, And hereby we know. I don't know about you, but I like to be certain about things. Hereby we know. This is one of those no doubt about it matters. Listen to what he says. Hereby we know that He abideth in us. You ever ask somebody, you know, are you a Christian? And they say, well, I think so, hope so. You know, they just don't have any assurance. And there are a lot of folks that will tell you, well, I don't think anybody can really know until, until after we die. But the Bible says, notice, hereby we know. Know what? We know that He abideth in us. How do we know that? By the Spirit which He hath given us. I, I, listen, I couldn't doubt my salvation if I wanted to because as Paul said in the book of Romans, the Spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are the sons of God. I don't need somebody to tell me whether I'm saved or not. I've had more than one person over the years that's come to me at the end of a service, walk down the aisle and say, Brother Stone, you know, I made a profession of faith two or three years ago and what have you. And, uh, but you know, I'm not sure. I, 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 I don't think maybe I, I might not really be saved. What do you think? You know, in the first place, you know, why in the world are you asking me? But I tell them the same thing. No, I don't think you are either. And then that kind of offends them. 
No, look, if they don't think they're saved, I don't think they're saved. But how do we know? We know because the Spirit, the Spirit of Christ who living within us, the Spirit bears witness that we are the children of God. That's why we have blessed assurance. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And that leaves us with just one question, and that's this. Is Christ in you? Is Christ in you? Or are you here today without God and without hope? I hope you don't leave that way. It's my prayer that before before you think about leaving this building, that right there, wherever you are, that you by faith will trust Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior. You don't have to turn cartwheels or you don't have to run a nine-minute, hundred-yard dash. You don't have to climb a mountain, swim the sea or anything else. It's just by simply believing, just trusting that God will do what He said He would. You came in here all empty and alone without any hope. You can walk out that door with Christ living in you. He'll go home with you. He'll be with you for the rest of your life all the way to heaven's gate. Let us stand. Father, how we thank You for this wonderful truth that, that Christ, the Creator, Christ, the one who continues to control all of, all of heaven and earth. Christ, the one who shed his blood on an old rugged cross and arose victoriously from the grave, that he can dwell in us today and, and for us to have that assurance of our salvation and our security and know because of that that whatever it is that we have to face, that He is more than able to get us through it, that we can endure any hardship, defeat any enemy, overcome any trial, do any work that You call us to do. And I just pray today for those that, that, that are here that do not have such a hope as that. Lord, speak to their heart. May the Holy Spirit put His finger, as it were, upon their heart and speak to them today about their spiritual condition and help them to see the sad state they're in and help them to see how glorious it could be if they would just simply embrace these truths by faith, trusting Christ as their Lord and as their Savior. May it be so today that you might be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. While we stand and as we sing together, if you're here today, and it might be you've already been saved, but you just feel in your heart overwhelmed with thanksgiving to God for all of those blessings, for the glorious truth that He's in you, and all that means, and you just want to come and have a time of thanksgiving on your knees before God and certainly if you're not saved, and maybe you think, well, preacher, I, I, there's something I don't understand. Well, you come and let us take the Bible and we'll do our best to help you while we sing.